You're listening to The Setup Podcast, a podcast that helps you navigate new topics in music, tech, and entrepreneurship with the most disruptive professionals in the music industry, turning their experiences working behind the scenes into actionable advice you can use. I'm Sydney. And I'm Sam. And we're your hosts for The Setup Podcast. If you're like us, passionate about paving your own path, hit the subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite app because we'll help set you up for success at The Setup Podcast. I want to say a quick shout out to our amazing listeners. Truly, I created this podcast to help those who are new to the industry, just like I was once. And I'm very happy to learn that I can also provide insight to those who have been in music for a while. I want to give another shout out to all of our new listeners of The Setup Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we are joined by Matt Axton. He is a California-based singer, songwriter, guitarist, and band leader. His music is a humble slice of Americana with a mix of folk, roots, country, blues, and rock. As a youth, Matt was on and off tour buses with his dad, Hoyt Axton, and grandmother, May, known as the Queen Mother of Nashville. Matt shares his newest release, Blue Sky Rain, and stories from being on the road in this episode, The Setup. Hello. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Good. How was your gig yesterday? Yesterday was good. It was, it was a redemption gig. <laughs> Last time I played at this spot, it was like one of the worst gigs I've ever had from outside <laughs> outside circumstances, but it was way better yesterday. <laughs> good, good. You redeemed yourself. <laughs> yeah, the, the venue, and, well, although it did rain yesterday for the first time in like a year down here, so that was pretty... That was pretty funny. It was like our last note, like, thank you, good night. And it was like, started pouring. Like, oh. Wow. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> was it outside then? It was, yeah. It was down in like Hermosa Beach, like on the on the pier, you know, like the touristy spots. But so Got one it. of those gigs. One of those I was going to say, then that makes sense why the yes. rain would be a factor. It's good to so see you. Got- you. Well, you too. I'm glad we got to line this thing up. Okay. Of course. We- well, one, one of the reasons why... I want to chat with you is because I love your background and just your family's history in music. Um, When did you decide to pursue it and then um, make it a career for yourself? Well, so I was, like you said, I was always around music. So it was sort of a given thing, not that I was going to be in the music industry, but that I had a, a deep love and respect for all things artistic, especially music. So as a kid, I remember when I was probably like five or six, I tried to write a couple songs and show them to my dad. And he's like, oh, that's so cute. (laughs) (laughs) And and so my dad would always bring whatever kid was at the show. He'd always bring us up to do like the the encore songs, like Joy to the World and stuff. So that part was easy. I got to do um, the Grand Old Opry a couple of times as a little kid, which was very cool. But that was before anybody had videos and stuff. So I don't know if there's anything of, of that out there in the world. Maybe somebody has it. But Music was always around. And then it wasn't until college, actually, um, I hurt my knee playing basketball and I was bedridden for a few months. And that's when I really picked up the guitar and I was like, well, let me take it seriously and see what I can do. And it sort of came really naturally. And I was like, well, all right, there we go. That was the beginning of it. So, uh, But then it took a little while to start 
you know, building up a repertoire and becoming functional enough to start playing live. It didn't take long, but I've been doing it professional probably like 15 years now. And I mainly do, I'm one of those weirdos that's mainly doing just original stuff. And I pepper in my family things, which are covers technically, but not really, <laughs> you know, in a way. Yeah, that's so. an interesting concept, by the way. Like when something's in the family yeah. like that, you pretty much turned like a bad situation around and found your calling, if you will. Yeah, well, and it was funny because I had a buddy who picked up the guitar at the exact same time. And he was just like plunking away, you know, trying to do like Dave Matthews covers and just butchering them. And I already at that point, I was already like pretty proficient. I was playing and singing. I was like, oh, my God, maybe I should stick with this. You know, this is a little <laughs> this is too easy right now. Let's go. So. <laughs> Samantha, I'm looking at you with that, with that mention of Dave Matthews. I mean, I know you said your friend was playing a little bit of Dave Matthews and plucking away with that, but was that like an influence when you first started? It was just that one crash was the one song. And that's just because it pretty oh, girl yeah. liked it, so I had to try and learn it. But I've seen Dave Matthews. I love him. I mean, I was, he's a great musician, great entertainer. You know, I love him. But it's to say... He was not like a huge influence in that yeah. way, but he was one of the first songs I learned to play on guitar. So that definitely set me on some sort of course. True. Dave Matthews was probably one of the most interesting shows I've ever been to because I believe it was like the first show where the music never stopped. Like it was purely <laughs> jamming Jam. and riffing into a song after song. And I'm like, what's happening this is actually really cool but at the time like wow he's not even breaking to speak or drink water or something <laughs> a uh, true showman a true showman yeah i mean of course well i could assume that your family was an influence since you've been around it would you say that has been a big influence to your musical style Oh, definitely like a thousand percent. And the fact that when I was in college and first learning to play, you know, take it seriously, because I pick up the guitar. Like I said, I wrote a couple songs when I was young, but I picked up a guitar when I was about 14 or 15, just to sort of noodle on it one time. And I wrote a couple little tunes and I tried to show it to my dad. And at that point, he was in pretty bad physical shape. So he didn't really like, he couldn't play guitar anymore. So it sort of frustrated him. So I put it down for a few years at that point. So then there was like this lull. Right. And then um, and then I jumped in heavy once all that, you know, once the, the surgery and all that stuff came about. So when I was this was in the Bay Area and I was from from Lake Tahoe, yeah, which is like a four hour drive. Right. Give or take, depending how fast you go. And so what I would do is I would just put my dad's albums on and I would sing to them and try to get every note like pitch perfect with him. And it was his early stuff, too. So it was very like folky, just him and a guitar, like growling at the microphone. So that's naturally that 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 style got, you know, implanted in my brain very quickly. So he was the biggest influence by far, like person I sang the most to and sang like. But, you know, when I was the music that I loved, I mean, I, I was all over the board as far as you know, I like the classic rock stuff or give me some like some reggae stuff or or I mean, pretty much anything. I've always been a, a sponge for music. And that came from both sides of my family. My dad had his hits in folk and in country, and then he wrote his biggest hits in rock and roll. So he was also all over the genre map as well, which helped me just sort of have that sort of open respect for all kinds of music. And my mom is a classically trained pianist, like a master piano player. So I'm somewhere in the middle of those guys. 
you know, country bumpkin and classic master, basically. So lots of influences. Yes, um, I'd say. I'd say yeah. I, I can't imagine what it's like to be in that environment. I wish. Well, I picked up the violin twice in my life. And at this point, I think maybe my brain can't learn that way because I just can't read music. And I think violin is incredibly difficult, but I love the sound. But I keep thinking, I'm like, I'm trying to make my life a little bit more musical so that when I bring kids in the world, hopefully it could be in a musical environment (laughs) (laughs) as much as I would like to. So I guess I could play records and music all the time. That that's probably to the extent. Just have it around. You never know. You never know. I I, I have a really good fiddle buddy down here. He's like sort of virtuoso, like a country fiddle guy. And he said that it's really hard to first learn the fiddle, but that it's actually way more intuitive than like a guitar or a lot of other instruments because you can sort of do the same finger movements all up and down it. So mm. sharp learning curve, but once you get it, you know, it can become pretty easy. So don't give up. Don't give up. <laughs> don't lose faith. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Snee, maybe your kids can teach you. <laughs> yeah. That would be great. And I think um, to your point earlier about when you picked up the guitar, I think it would be a lot easier if like I had someone that would be jamming with me because it's so difficult in my opinion to do it on my own and hold myself accountable. So I I always joke with Samantha actually. And I also used to joke with my friend Curtis, we should start like a saxophone violin, which is Samantha and then a drums violin or something, some crazy (laughs) instruments put together. Yeah. It's just fusion. Call that jazz, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you call it something. That's nice. yeah. <laughs> you can invent a new kind of music. That's even cooler. I'll give you. I'll, I'm going to give you a secret. Yeah. The higher you go, the higher the note. The lower you go, the lower the note. It's just like that. You just go up and down the neck. Mm-hmm. It's very easy. Very easy. <laughs> <laughs> we could start there. Uh, but so you said earlier that you used to listen to your dad's music and try to get the note in the car. What particularly like resonated? I mean, my songwriting style is much more on the, you know, I'd say the folk Americana side because it's usually just me and a guitar starting it out, you know, and that's very, you know, indicative of folk music, right? That's all they had back then. You couldn't plug anything in. It was just you and your guitar strings and, you know, your porch with all your buddies type thing. So naturally, my stuff lines up, starts that way. But I've always come from the mindset like my dad is, you let the song take over after that. You know, you, you don't force anything. It knows where it wants to go in a lot of ways. And um, and some songs, truthfully, can be twisted in a good way. Like I can, I've started out a song with like country feel and then I'm like, well, let's see if we can turn this into like a reggae thing. And it goes that way and it can fit. You know, because a lot of those styles from their beginnings were very, like I said, very folk influenced anyway. You know, they came from the culture of that area or that time and, they all sort of have the same same you know ingredients at the very beginning a lot of them there's only so many notes you can hit too so that's one of those things if that makes sense can't get too deep um but yeah it's mainly mainly the country country roots folk stuff is where i start on most of it but because i tried to play piano once but my it was way too hard my mom didn't want to teach me it's just too frustrating to teach her own kid which makes sense and then I have her. I play in a band with her whenever I'm up back up in Tahoe. So I just let her do all the fancy stuff. <laughs> I'd love well, to hear that. Yeah, there's some there's some tunes. She's on the, the all my last three albums. She's on there and some sprinkled in there somewhere. So well, where are you guys? Where are you guys located? 
I'm in Denver right now, but we're originally from Chicago. And that's where, yeah, and that's where I am right now. Oh, Chicago. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a weird little crossover. The keyboard player player from last night's band is from Chicago or Elgin, I think, right? It's okay. There, there. My so, husband's family is from Elgin, or I shouldn't say from, but lives in Elgin right now. Oh, yep. So look at that. Piano and Chicago connection right there. <laughs> I feel like at this point, everyone from Chicago is bopping around because I don't think we want to deal with the weather anymore. And also the not to get taxes, taxes, finances, (laughs) everything, everything. But you're from the Bay Area. So I feel like you're feeling that too. Oh, yeah. California, you know, it's a high cost of living down here. You you get a lot for your money, though. But I mean, it was amazing yesterday going to sit sit on the beach, you know, playing on the beach. Exactly. Just very cool to have that dynamic where, I mean, LA is very weird. LA, LA only gets pigeonholed as like tourists and Hollywood and stuff. But it's basically a thousand little cities put together and each place is very distinct, you know, the, the style there. And, and obviously the monetary demographics are very distinct in some places, but it's just great to be in a town where you can go to like a world-class beach and see all that stuff going on and come back where I'm living is right in Griffith park. It has a whole different vibe, you know, then Hollywood's a mile away. So we get all the touristy stuff over there. It's, it's it, it high cost of living, but you get a lot of more bang for your buck. So I like the way you put that. And Samantha actually was just in the area a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah, you did the it, Hollywood thing? No, I was I was um actually right downtown um San Francisco. And to be honest, like it was just it was just different yes. and not what I expected as much, even though people told me, but did not expect it as much. And so I liked when you were talking about how your dad pretty much said, just like the song knows where it's going to go, just kind of let it go. Kind of breaking it down a little bit. What is your process for when you start um, writing a song and start creating the song? Well, it's a mix. Um, Like there's no one set way as far as, you know, whether you get the music first, the lyrics first, that type of thing. It's always sort of a mix. Like sometimes I'll just be, you know, driving in the car and then a little melody will hit and I'll be like, Oh, I got to go home and find those notes and like find that part around it. Um, or sometimes like I, I usually, most of the time I would say I have the guitar part first that I've just been plucking on. And then you sort of like can think of a theme and then really run with it. And sometimes it doesn't work. You know, sometimes you have to put those babies in the closet. Uh, you know, it happens, but at the same time, I, so I have almost 300 songs. So at, there've been a lot of different processes in, in, in that bundle. Right. But I'd say most of all, it's probably starting with a little guitar riff and then pinching an idea that I already had, you know, like sometimes I'll write down a song and don't have the words to it. And maybe I'll grab a verse from this one and this one, as long as they're thematically correct, I can sort of make them work and like fit in that way. So it's a bunch of different ways. Like my, my dad always, he believed that he was just a satellite dish and that these songs are floating out in the cosmos. And he was just lucky enough to be on that wavelength to like pick them up and pull them out and put them into a form that people can hear. You know, I don't, I believe in that for the most part, but at the same time, it does take, <laughs> some songs take a long time. There's some tunes in my songbook that I started five years ago and they're still not done, you know, and ironically, both my dad and grandma's biggest hits, which or Heartbreak Hotel, Elvis's first million seller, and then Joy to the World, which was Three Dog Nights, big hit in 1971. 
those songs literally were off the top of my family's brains. Like it, it took them the littlest, the least amount of energy to write those songs, and they were the biggest hits. So there's something to say, like that was the direct, you know, flow, right, right from their heart and their brain into the page, and that's the easiest stuff to connect to. So it doesn't have to be deep always, and that's one thing I've noticed down here in LA in particular. Um, and especially after coming out of COVID and pandemic times is like people were very, they had a lot of emotion to pour out naturally, right? When you've been stuck in your house for years type thing. So it, it seemed to be a very melancholy stuff. You know, you'd go to like these songwriter rounds and like every song was like how much they hated the world and how terrible <laughs> it is and all that stuff. So I always actively, every time I went to one of those things, I would try and do a big, like a happy, fast, like goofy, fun song every time. And people would always come up, they're like, we love it because you get to dance to your tunes. I was like, okay, good, this is working. Not that there isn't space for for deep stuff. There yeah. definitely is. But at the same time, music is inherently supposed to be an escape and supposed to be fun. And if you're, if you're doing, I've always came with the thing like, challenge yourself as an artist too. You know, try, most people write about their personal thing, like me. It has a lot of me in it. And I tell people, I was like, challenge yourself, go write a song about a water bottle, see what happens. Write it about your favorite tree or your dog, just see what happens with that. It, it gets you out of your routine and out of that mindset where you're, where you're thinking about the beauty or the uniqueness of a, something that's you know, not in you at the moment, but you can sort of bring it back and still make something entertainment, entertaining out of it is the idea. It doesn't always work, but you know, it's, that's, that's probably the biggest influence from my family and my dad's songwriting is just just try and make a good song and you can make it about anything and make it connect. And if not, make them dance. That's important. <laughs> I really like that. And also, um, I agree with your theme because as I'm, as we're talking with more and more musicians, that seems to be like the common like idea, especially across the last couple of years is like the therapeutic melancholy lyrics and music. They're trying to do what you're doing, like trying to break against the mold here. Like I'm really bad analogy. So that was horrible. But I think you get where I'm going with that, like trying yeah. to do something different because just creatively what like why not <laughs> and um i can appreciate if not then make them dance <laughs> yeah exactly and, and it's so easy especially when you're you know in your own house and you all you have to do is like do on your thoughts it's really easy to sort of you know just try and dig deep here in your soul and do it right it's hard to break out of that routine yeah. but but you have to do it and like so there's a and music is a weird thing too especially down here in hollywood there's a lot of people that are um, very music is secondary to the flash or the lifestyle or the the ego and the fun around it. Um, and I've that's never been a drive for me. I don't particularly care about being rich or famous. I just love the music to be heard and try and make good songs and and uh, unite and bring together good musicians to do that. And hopefully, if it's done right, all the other stuff falls into place someday. But that's not what it's about for me, you know. So. It's, and it's working. It's hard to, I'm, I'm definitely feel like a lone ship sometimes in Hollywood in that way. Not that there aren't a bunch of amazing, um, you know, musicians that are doing it for the right way, but just to find the right people and connect them is a really hard thing to do. And that's, that's the thing I've learned the most in the last couple of years is how to sort of spot those people and how to try and connect them and lift all each other, lift each other up in a way to create a musical scene. Cause it's not the same way. Like it was, 
you're not going to have that Laurel Canyon scene or, you know, the grunge scene or like those unique yeah. meccas of music because everything's so spread out nowadays. So you really have to, you really have to grind a little differently just to survive as an artist and much less create a, a scene, a thriving scene. So, but I'm up for the challenge. And there's, like I said, there's great musicians, great people down here. And I got my, my 40th birthday is coming up in a couple of weeks. And I decided to throw a big mm -hmm. show with all of my friends mm -hmm. down here. And that's going to be the, that's all I want. I just want to get a bunch of musical people in a room, have a bunch of fun and see what comes out the doors. You know? I think that's what we're all learning now. It's like the wild, wild west <laughs> yeah. in the music, in the music industry, especially with all the genres merging together. You can't necessarily be like, oh, you're this, you're this. Happy early birthday, by the way. And I oh, can't you, wait you. to hear all about <laughs> that. Um, hopefully I survive that one. Yeah, yeah, survive <laughs> it. And hopefully we get to see a little bit about it being shared and circulated mm -hmm. on your social or something. Yeah, I'm trying to get better at that. I'm trying. <laughs> It's necessary. Oh, it's necessary, but it's another job. So it's okay if you don't have it down right now. The hundred percent, like the sad part about getting down here and really being professional on all those avenues is that I really don't have time to like play music anymore in a weird way. You know, I'm focusing so much on, you know, the booking and the branding and t-shirts yeah. and albums and connecting all these musicians that I don't really get to just sit down with the guitar and like, have fun and relax anymore which is i'm trying to find that balance but it's just it, it is the way it's the only way to do it as an independent musician really you have yeah. to be a jack of every trade and and at least if you don't have a financial backing already you need to you know do a lot of that work on the fly and learn it <laughs> like i plugged in all these microphones to do this thing and none of them worked so it's like yeah whatever i'll just use this one <laughs> But I was like, come on, I got all these machines, all these buttons. And I don't know what I'm doing. Just give me a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> You're not alone. So okay, good, uh, good. Yeah. So let's talk about your latest single, Blue Sky Rain. Um, mm -hmm. you know, jumping back into how you made that and what that's all about. Um, please share all that good stuff. Yeah, so blue sky rain. Um I'm weird in the fact that I've never really done a straight dedicated album, you know, like gone into a studio and just done, okay, here's my 10 songs. They're all country. Let's go. I've always sort of done it very organically. As far as I went in the studio, I was like, I haven't been in the studio in a couple of years. Let's put a couple of tunes down. Then that snowballed into three or four. And then I was like, well, we might as well do a full album now. So th this last album, which is blue sky rain is the title of the album as well. was a little more, you know, patchwork together which so that hops genres pretty consistently <laughs> but it has a theme to it you know it has that americana mm -hmm. folk theme to it and blue sky rain obviously was the, the theme of that the idea of blue sky rain is that everything can look perfect but maybe not be perfect right you know that can be a sunny day but it's still coming down on you and you still gotta <laughs> recognize that and and really i just wanted to write sort of a, a pretty country love song and that's what came out of it basically i mean so it's it's semi-deep not super deep but semi-deep and now uh, that's the first single we're pushing off this and then as you were talking about earlier the industry is so different it's mm -hmm. not like you drop albums really anymore you sort of do a lot of little singles and that kind of stuff so the idea is to start you know peppering some singles off of this and then i have a bunch of so i did this up in tahoe and reno actually was where we recorded that album a few years ago and so now since i've been down here 
obviously have a different um, little musical drive and musical group of people and and have becoming I've been actively trying to be a little more focused stylistically as far as I have a great like country group that I play with country roots guys so I'll throw them in the studio and we'll get a very like solid country roots album uh in the next I'm trying to do that before the end of the year so we just got back from tour from Nashville and it's a great time to go in the studio once you've been stuck in a van together for two weeks you're pretty tight you know so I digressed a little bit but yes blue sky rain is very deep it's very deep but like I said it was more of a patchwork album and I'm very excited to sort of do one that's that's more stylistically focused and, and consistent, but still crazy and out there and, and experimental, but, you know, a little more thematic, I guess. Is there still almost like a common theme or a story throughout the album? Yeah, I would say like majority of the tunes. So I always do one of my dad's tunes on every album I do. And then this one I threw in my grandma through Heartbreak Hotel on there just because we do a very different version than Elvis's. We do like an old blues version. So that one seemed to be, that one was working live at shows. I was like, all right, let's record that one. And sometimes you pick songs that way. You're like, all right, well, I didn't even plan on that being the good song, but mm-hmm. people seem to like that one. I mean, a lot of a lot of my tunes truthfully come, I've been noticing this, a lot of them are about sort of the road the traveling aspect of being a musician Mm -hmm. because that's what I was used to with my dad. I mean, that's anytime I had a break in school or any holiday or summer break, I just hop on his tour bus. So naturally that, that sort of drive and that, that idea is, is carried through a lot of these songs, I would say. Um, And then a lot of songs usually are about what life and love and loss and then just randomness sometimes. (laughs) Um, And there's even a couple of songs on here. I mean, that I didn't even really get to finish. Like I love them. There's a song called Morning Light, which is like sort of a bluegrassy little picker one. And I didn't even like the way I play that song now is so much brought bigger and different. And so, you know, some of these things I would love to just redo. I'll do that on the 10 year anniversary or something. But you know, that's the thing. Songs can be put in form on here, but not be fully done. Like they're always growing, really. They are. And it's interesting that you said that you focus on the on the road aspect because um, not only have you spent um, some time growing up on the road, but also it seems like you've been doing a lot of that lately too. Yes, nonstop, but, <laughs> which is good. Like I said, that is that's what I grew up with. It actually feels more normal to, for me to be on the road than almost be at home. Uh, and then there's just some even though you lose some of your comforts, right? You're not sleeping in your own bed. You're not guaranteed three square meals a day or anything. Um, There is an adventure and a connection aspect where every day you're going to meet somebody new or maybe make a new fan or at least have a, see something unique in that area or have a new story. And for me, because I have the legacy stuff, I always, almost every show somebody comes up and tells me a story about my dad you know, and they're all, and that's, that's always great too. There's a, there's a legacy aspect of it that pushes me as well, which is probably different than most people. You know, I mean, I really, that, that part is almost better than me playing my own music, hearing how much my dad's music connected with people, you know, 50 years ago, it's that part sort of magical that music can last that long and have that big of a connection with people, but always, always grinding. I know the world is very digital. 
And it's amazing because you can make fans all the way across the world that would never be exposed to your stuff even, you know, 25 years ago. But I don't think I the road dog aspect or putting your feet to the pavement and going will never truly die out because you have to connect with people. They want to see you in real life and see that you are who you're, you know, pretending to be. And hopefully I, I try really hard not to pretend to be anybody but myself. So. You know, I haven't fallen into the Hollywood traps yet. <laughs> and you know what? Sometimes it takes for me to see an artist live to actually love the music. I can think of two artists right off the top of my head and I'll name them. One, one of them is Dermot Kennedy. Did I mean I respect his music? It's it's a modern like gospel-y sound. Like he has a bunch mm-hmm. of backup singers, and normally I wouldn't listen to that music in my free time. But live, wow, it like shook me to my core. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it'll never die. I I feel like I get more invested in artists and who mm-hmm. they are and get to know them and how they operate way better than what you hear from a studio version, which is still beautiful and it's, you know, yeah. in its own way, but it doesn't give you the same like creativity to like vibe off the audience and what I believe could happen, like change the music a little bit. I would love to hear what was the best story that you've heard from a, from someone that came up to you at a show um, that they told you about your dad. Oh, well, that's so, well, I, I can't tell all those. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, or, or maybe it, even one I, that you've experienced. Yeah, then. <laughs> yeah. Well, so one thing that my dad was great at and that he was probably one of the best people in the industry for was just his, his connection to his fans in a way. You know, he was the guy that would, he would, wait until the last person wanted the autograph or wanted to talk like that was just his thing it was part of being the artist it's part of being a musician and connecting with people so that's one thing that's always connected is you don't know, talk to somebody's like oh yeah i was just a nobody truck driver and and went to see your dad and he let me in the bus on the end of the night and we talked all night long and like really connected i've seen him talk to presidents and talk to bums and he treated them the same way and that part was very important to me. Just realize that nobody in this world is more important than anybody else. We all have our time and deserve that and deserve respect. And um, the fact that somebody's spending their money and time to come see him or me play music, like the least I can do is give them some of my time back. And, and like, like I said, for me, it's extra because I get to hear a bunch of cool stories about my dad. But the, the best one, this one is, this is like a medium long one. Okay, I'll do a medium one. Um, when I first moved down here, it's been three years, but two years of it was COVID. So there wasn't much going on, right? Especially for playing live and all that. And as you guys, it's like I bragged earlier, I'm not good at this digital stuff very well. So, you know, I wasn't killing it on that game at all. But I went and played at this place called Kulak's Woodshed. And they do like a, it's not an open mic, but they have a video set up and you can pay and they'll film you doing your thing, right? They'll do nice 4K cameras and blah, blah, blah. Wow. Get a couple songs. Um but when the lady that was running it, I signed up and I was like, yeah, I'm Matt Axon. She's like, are you Hoyt Axon's kid? And I was like, yeah, I'm one of his favorite. I'm his youngest. Um, so I'm the youngest by far. My my sister's the 16 years older. So they were around in like the heyday. I got the back end of my dad's stuff. So when he was a wise old man type, type stuff, a little mellower. Um, so I didn't know any of the great rock star stories. But there was one that uh, this lady told me that... Basically, my dad was really integral to the Laurel Canyon scene. 
in the 60s and 70s, which is, you know, we're pretty much everything we know as almost every genre of music sort of popped out of at least what we know is like modern music, right? It was just a, a deep talent pool, you know, the, the Eagles and the Birds and the Johnny Mitchells and the Dillons and everybody came out of this little era and area. And um, this lady told me a story of one of her friends was hitchhiking up a, a little canyon and that my dad had picked him up and he didn't know who my dad was. And that my dad's like, yeah, we're going to this, we're going to a, a, a picking party. You want to come? And the guy's like, no, I'm not a real musician. Like, I don't know. And my dad's like, no, it's okay. We're driving right by the place. I'll just come hang out. And so they go up to this party and it's just filled with all these little canyon people, right? This guy's eyes are just like saucers going crazy. And so they're all going around doing their songwriting rounds and, you know, singing all these things that became future mega hits. And so he gets up there, this, this guy, this hitchhiker, and he's like, well, I only know one song. And he starts playing this song called Greenback Dollar, which was my dad's first hit. And he didn't know that my dad was the guy who picked him up that wrote this. So he starts playing it and everyone looks over like my dad and is like, like, did you get him to do this? And the guy's like, what do you mean? He's like, that's Hoyt's song. And like that full circle little moment just sort of like exploded. And it, it connected to that guy so much that it sort of like, you know, changed his life for the better. In, in an amazing way like that's the power of music and that was just sort of a weird little serendipity thing but yes. but those kind of moments you know that's that's sort of ma magic uh, you know that that's that's the most g-rated one i can tell you guys <laughs> okay first <laughs> off uh, this makes me think like always say yes you never know what can yeah, happen right. you yeah. know within circumstances and then um too the universe is weird how no. how does out of everyone in the entire world that happens yeah right but like i said it's the magic of music it's a unifier it brings people together but but that's just one of the one of the light versions i mean my older brother was around in then that heyday that little canyon day and he was telling me a story not too long ago that you know he would wake up and get ready to go to school and he'd be you know, making his peanut butter and jelly sandwich and literally it'd be like Bob Dylan would be sitting at the coffee table, like hanging out, like writing with my dad. And there'd be like the Eagles were in the back room shooting pool and like Joan, but, you know, it was all these people. And that was just like a daily occurrence there. And I have this, I mean, I know it is true, but those scenes got created not only because there was talented people together, but those people challenged each other and they supported each other's music and they went to each other's shows and put each other's songs on their albums and really like lifted each other up as a big group and yeah. changed the world and it's harder to do like i said because people are more spread out but it's also easier because we can connect yeah um but that's what i'm trying to do down here in la in my light light way uh and i've met so many talented deep musicians artists in every sort of category and every genre and I have this really firm belief that if we had a little bit of unifying thing behind us, that we might not create a Laurel Canyon or change the world, but we can put out a lot of good music and, you know, maybe create some of those fun, unique stories, like I just said, and really just make the world a little bit brighter or a little bit happier for a moment. And that's, that's the idea. I know it sounds very altruistic, but no. I do believe in the power of music in that way. My dad, you know, Joy to the World was his biggest tune and he really tried to live that, just spread the joy. I really, I really dig that. And um, also, 
I think you're so right though. Like, I think everyone's always like, how do we get back to that heyday? But in reality, it's like, maybe if we weren't so glued to our phones and technology, yes, you're right. It connects us in ways that we couldn't have done before, but also it isolates us. Like if we just like lifted our head and looked at what's nearest to us and the community that can be around us, you never know who you can meet, but we're Mm -hmm. so used to messaging someone first instead of like going into a room, walking around, having a conversation. Yeah. Cause Sydney, sometimes I feel like there's a little bit of a bad connotation too with convenience versus like putting a little bit more effort, maybe going in person over like convenience of just like digital connection. That's true. Or digital reach out. That's true. Oh, yeah. But I also feel like now people are like, oh, they didn't message me back. So therefore mm. I'm going to stop trying. It's like, mm, yeah. Well, <laughs> did your message have meaning or like, and then also the red tape with uh, profiles, like it did it get sent to a black hole of a folder because we weren't friends yet. But yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that story. I love hearing stuff like that. So thank you. I know you mentioned that you're working on an, an album or an EP or you know, something that's country focused coming at the end of the year. But is there mm-hmm. anything else that we should be looking forward to, whether it's more tours or gigs or any projects? I mean, yeah, always. The idea is we just did this uh, Nashville tour. I got back last week. Uh, it was just it was just a few weeks there and back. We did some Arizona, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and then sort of came back. And this was the first, it was wholly independent, like a crazy person, I decided to set it up in a month and a half, which is not the right time frame, people, to set up a tour. But it happened. Uh, it was a lot of learning lessons. I'm, I'm really glad I did. I got to my dad's an Oki, true and true, you know, to his core. So I got to go back to the the old family stomping grounds and stuff and bring some acts and music, which was very important. But the idea is, you sort of have to retread these areas to build them up. You know, so they go maybe back to Nashville every four months and then sort of keep peppering the same places. And, you know, you don't land perfectly at every venue. And so you got to sort of test them and see which ones really stick and go with that. Um, so we're always touring right now. We've been doing a lot of California West Coast stuff just because that's where we are. And, it's, mm-hmm. and everything around touring got way more expensive as far as gas and gas, food, lodging, all the things that you need are now 10 times more expensive than they used to be. And you get Same. half the pay that you do used to get as a musician. So that, wow. the math doesn't really add up very well, but I'm not doing this because of maths. I'm doing this because of music's, you know? Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're always sort of moving. If there's anywhere that anybody out here has suggestions to go to, we will go. We like that stuff. We I consider, it's sort of a cheater word, but we're Americana, which means that you can sort of do a little bit of like blues or rock or funk or, you know, jazz or country or roots or whatever, and just call it Americana. So and that's been really fun for me is trying to sort of cater the sets and cater the songs to the specific areas we go. And like the last night's band was much more, it was much more like jam roots, funky stuff. The guys I took to Nashville were much more country, you know, Americana roots. And then I always do the solo folk stuff. So uh, that's, I got to be sort of a, a Swiss army knife of music to make it work nowadays. And like I said, I've never really approached it as one. Most bands stick with one style and it makes a lot of sense because it's way easier to market mm-hmm. and produce and do all that. It's way easier. I've never done it that way. I'm trying to get a little more focused stylistically, but 
always have these different arms to sort of hit different things and hit you know different different areas that like different kinds of music so always touring always playing it's a curse if you enjoy it then yeah, stick yeah. With there's, it. there's some good moments oh no it's not easy being stuck in a car for like 80 hours straight you know? <laughs> i can't imagine it's the best position to be in but well, especially because i had to rent a van basically for these tours like a minivan and when I showed up to the rental place, they didn't have the van. So they gave us like a compact thing. I was like, we had to leave a wow. bunch of equipment behind. But those little things, you know, now I know next time on the notes when they say like, do you need anything? I was like, I have to have a van. Yes. Like it cannot be. So I'm learning, still learning all these processes. But that's also another adventure of the road is you're always on your feet. There's always something you got to take care of. And at the end, as long as you got there and played your music and put on a good show, and survive the trip. You did your job, you know. God bless. And you learned something too. Yes, a lot of things. I learned that Nashville doesn't have any vegetables. Is what I learned. <laughs> <laughs> they, the ones they do, they just fry. So I would kill somebody yes. for a smoothie when I was out there. That's funny. I did not notice that. But also, <laughs> I don't think I've ever tried to order a vegetable there. Yeah, <laughs> potatoes even, and vegetable, right? <laughs> yeah, well, even then, I went to a barbecue place and I was like, "Well, can I get the the potato salad?" They're like, "No." I was like, "There's bacon also." I was like, "Fine." I was like, "Can I get the regular salad?" They're like, "No, there's bacon in there." I was like, "Can I get the collard greens?" <laughs> no, there's the ham hocks. I was like, "I just had to eat French fries for like two weeks, basically." It was my dad. <laughs> Not very healthy. Not very healthy. <laughs> We just have one more question, but I kind of have a sense of um, your personality and kind of like what you're trying to curate, but we always ask this at the end, what do you want to be known for? Mm. Well, I mean, that's pretty, I just want to be known for making good music. Yeah, that's, and I know good music, everyone has their own version of it. I just mean sort of coming from a, a, a wholesome, heartfelt place, connect with people and be as real as possible and hit the right notes in the right order at the right time. That's mainly it. Just I've always loved the idea of just giving somebody a little escape to be known as somebody who, who uh, put that forward and, and connected with it and made a little impact somewhere. Love made it. someone dance, made someone yeah. dance. Someone dance. <laughs> and worst case scenario, just dance. Yeah. yeah just dance you're a dance dance. maker and ma no, you're a magic maker. And <laughs> I like that magic and dance, baby. Um, <laughs> Thanks so much, Matt. That was a great ending. Um, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Setup. It was such a pleasure to hear everything that you're working on, your you know, your background, your family. It was all good stuff. Well, thank you guys for giving me the opportunity. I, I love doing this stuff. I said I get to keep my, my family alive with playing music and talking about it, and that always means a lot, and I get to get some free promo and talk about myself. That's always fun. It's Hollywood. Yeah, it it's is. Hollywood. Hollywood, baby. I mean, you know what? We got to do it. We all got to do it. I always have yeah. to remind myself that too. Like whenever someone's like, what are you working on? I'm like, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> We're all working on something at some yeah. point. It's okay no. to talk about it. It is totally true. Like it's, there's a fine line between like arrogance and, you know, confidence, but you just got to ride that thing, you know, and then you got to know where it is. And that's always been a, important thing for me is just you know it's it's not about the ego it's not about the accolades it's about connecting with people and just like i said trying to make some good music and the other stuff will come if it doesn't i'll still be playing music so it doesn't matter i <laughs> dig that and i'm so happy that we were able to meet you and i hope that we're able to stay connected and i do mean it but other than that i hope you have a fantastic birthday 
Well, thank you guys. And yeah, please stay uh, stay in touch as much as you can. I'll, if you guys ever come out this way, I know where all the cool uh, divey bars and good tasty restaurants yes. are. All right. Well, have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you so much again. And we'll talk soon. Yep. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much. And, uh, adios. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Setup Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review the Setup on Apple Podcasts. And I encourage you to share this episode with your friends and colleagues. If you have any topic recommendations or questions, please visit us at www.thesetupseries.com.